Welcome to Highly Volatile, an unfiltered podcast for real-life professional traders, investors, and top executives. To be the best, you need your thoughts and perspectives challenged by the best. This podcast series features some of the most thought-provoking and disruptive minds in both businesses and investing. My name is Kevin Van Trump, and I'm joined each podcast by my good friend, legendary trader and angel investor, Andy Daniels. Together, we attempt to challenge the conventional and gain a better understanding of the disruptor. We search high and low for wealth hacks and exciting new investment opportunities, but at the same time, try to uncover hidden pitfalls and unforeseen changes coming our direction that might rock our worlds. We hope you're challenged by our unfiltered thoughts and conversations and enjoy our highly volatile podcast. Hi, folks. This is Kevin Van Trump with my good friend Andy Daniels for another uh, edition of our Highly Volatile Podcast. Uh, Andy, you on there today? I'm here, Kevin. Perfect. What uh, You want to tell the listeners about our uh, special guest that we're excited to have and take it from there? But... Yeah, yeah, sure. Um, I'm really super excited to have uh, um, uh, Michael Lewitt on with us today. Um, Michael, is uh, I've been a big fan of his uh, newsletter for quite some time. Uh, Michael's the uh, Chief Executive Officer and CIO of uh, Third Friday Management. It's a hedge fund, private equity, and merchant banking firm uh, located in southern Florida. And over the past 30 years, uh, Michael has uh, had investment experience and success in dealing with uh, large credit portfolios uh, back in the 2001, 2002, and 2008 crises. And, uh, you know, his, uh, his, his fund has been uh, named... Um, uh, hedge fund of the year by uh, Wealth and Finance uh, magazine in the UK, and even Barclay Hedge uh, named them the best U.S. options hedge uh, fund strategy since inception. So, in addition to that, uh, Michael also is the uh, author and editor of uh, of a monthly uh, newsletter called uh, The Credit Strategist, and uh, covering you know economic and and uh, political and. Uh, market-sensitive topics uh, around the world. And so I can't think of a better uh, guest to have on the program today, uh, given all the uncertainty and volatility we're dealing with in the markets. And so, Michael, welcome. Nice to be here. Thanks so much. We're, uh, we're really glad to have you here today. Um, I guess, you know, uh, I guess I'd, I'd just like to kick it off by saying, you know, here we are looking at, you know, unemployment in the month of April at over $20 million. Uh, total claims over 33 million to date, 16% unemployment. Um, you know, we've never seen over 2 million unemployment in a given month in the history of man- in this country. And all this is happening at the same time. We're looking at, you know, the NASDAQ making new highs, uh, the S&P uh, acting, in my opinion, irrationally. And, uh, you know, you have a lot of folks out there saying that, you know, this happened so quick to the downside, it's going to be an elevator up. Um, and as, as things reopen, and then you have others like uh, Bob Mitchell at uh, J.P. Morgan talking about a 10 to 12 year cycle to get unemployment levels back to pre-pandemic conditions. So, you know, to me, in my mind, this is as crazy as it gets. I know Kevin and I have had numerous conversations on these subjects over the last few weeks, and uh, you know, I'd sure love to get your thoughts on it. Which uh, which side of the coin are you uh, kind of leaning on, and uh, how do you see things as we currently stand today? 
Well, no, I, I agree with you completely. I think that the market is completely detached from economic reality, but it, it, in many respects it's been detached from economic reality for, you know, for many years. Um, the, the primary, um, primary thing it, you know, continues to ignore is that you know, debt has been growing out of control since the, the financial crisis of 2008, and, you know, while, you know, politicians have been bragging about this being the greatest economy ever, in fact, it's, it was nothing of the kind before the, the coronavirus hit. Uh, the economy was over-indebted, was, le- you know, heavily leveraged, and it was, you know, really suffering under the weight of, of, of debt. I mean, right now, I guess the federal deficits, you know, in the $25, $26 trillion range and rising, um, but, um, you know, before the, the crisis, it was, you know, it was whatever it was, 23, 24 trillion, whatever, it was some ridiculous number. And that doesn't include all the off-balance sheet obligations and so on. The reality is, let's just go pre-crisis, there was approximately $70 trillion of public and private sector debt in the economy, in the U.S. economy, and there was 200, and I don't know what the number is, 260, $270 trillion of global debt. And the global economy and the U.S. economy, respectively, don't have the productive capacity to service that much debt, even with zero rates. You know, negative rates are, uh, will come to that. So the idea that we were living in a world that was robust was nonsense. The idea that we had the strongest economy ever in the U.S. was nonsense. Our, our economy was, was struggling to grow at 2%. Uh, even with trillion-dollar-plus deficits, and those are the official government numbers. The numbers are much higher. And even with a $1.5 trillion tax cut. So this was not the strongest economy ever. This was an economy that was slowly being suffocated under the weight of, of debt. If you look at the stock market, it was being propped up by debt-funded uh, stock buybacks, uh, by enormous corporate borrowing, uh, not just to, well, to buy back stocks in, you know, by what I'd call non-leveraged companies. They're all leveraged, but by sort of companies not engaged in leveraged transactions. Uh, and then by massive, uh, the whole leveraged finance infrastructure of uh, private equity. So we were in a pretty vulnerable position to start with. Uh, and then you get hit with an exogenous event like a pandemic. Uh, and it exposes all the weaknesses in the financial sector and in our economy. And in addition, because this is a this was a you know a healthcare uh, a public health problem, it exposed all the weakness in our in our healthcare system. So it it really just you know hit us in a very very um, you know bad way, uh, and it exposed what was under the surface. For anybody paying attention, but which was covered up, you know, primarily uh, by the blanket of, you know, very very easy uh, monetary policy and and also pretty loose fiscal policy. I mean, when you're running over trillion dollar deficits, obviously fiscal policy is very very lax, and monetary policy has been ridiculously lax uh, for the most part. I mean, the Fed did try to normalize rates for a couple of years there. But then at the first sign of trouble in the fourth quarter of what was it, 2018, when the market sold off, you know, a little more, you know, 10% or something, 
you know, Powell panicked, and after in December of 2018 telling the market we're going to continue raising rates, he just panicked and in January turned it around and then started, you know, you know, uh, easing again all through 2019, and you saw the market S&P go up nearly 30%. So easy money from both sides, fiscal and monetary, was just, you know, making everything seem okay when it wasn't okay. So, you know, we basically had a, you know, a, a economy that was on steroids um, from debt, and um, this now exposes um, that, you know, the fallacy that you can simply run an economy like that forever. But, of course, what's the solution? Well, everybody says, well, we got to keep doing this because if we let everything collapse, it's going to be worse. Um, I'm not entirely of that school of thought, but in the short term, obviously, it's very difficult to let people, uh, you know, if the government's going to shut down the economy, it's very difficult to let people lose their jobs and, and go hungry and on and on. But, you know, this is the situation we're in. Um, so we now have an economy, as you said, you know, we've lost 30, more than 30 million jobs. I think we've lost 35 million jobs now. Um, we're starting to open up slowly. I think this, the recovery is going to be very, very slow. Um, and uh, we really have had, you know, structural, what I would call structural damage to the economy. What does that mean? It means a lot of these jobs won't come back ever because I think businesses are going to change how they conduct themselves. I think a lot of businesses are going to say, you know, we don't need all these employees or businesses can, you know, people can work from home. That will affect the real estate business, commercial real estate, on and on. So I think we're going to have structural change in business, number one. Number two, this is, knocked, this is knocking out a lot of the weaker companies, and so that's going to cause, you know, debt deflation. You know, you had, you're starting to have, the, you know, the, the weaker companies in retail file for bankruptcy. We've had um, um, Neiman Marcus yesterday, uh, uh, J. Crew on Monday, uh, Aldo, this Canadian company, I guess the shoe company. I don't go shopping, so I, my wife has to tell me about these things. They filed. Um, uh, J.C. Penney, I hear, is going to file next week. On and on, the retail industry, which has been decimated, um, is you know is going the fracking industry is going and basically you know a lot of leveraged companies are just going to go um, so that's going to cause the debt that has a lot of it's traded down already but a lot of it's just going to be written off I mean or, or exchange for equity I mean Neiman Marcus is talking about swapping I think four point four billion dollars of its five point one billion dollars of debt for equity um, on and on I mean uh, J. Uh, Crew is going to do the same. So a lot of equities, a lot of debt's going to be equitized, and it basically has very little value until these companies can restructure and see if they can even go forward and create value. So um, you have that phenomenon, and then you have a stock market that has recovered enormously, but not in not uniformly. And what does that mean? It means that certain, you know, you have sectors like technology, the types of technology that are keeping everything going um, that are doing very well, and their stocks are doing very well. But that's lifting a lot of other companies that probably don't, you know, aren't doing that well um, uh, more than they should. And then you have a lot of companies that are just, their stocks have gotten smashed, deserve to get smashed, and 
their businesses aren't going to recover. You have, you know, the whole travel sector is is in bad shape. You have the energy sector, which is hurt very much by the by the de- demand problem for for oil. Um, that's gotten badly hurt. So you're going to have a lot of fracking um, bankruptcies. Another wave of energy bankruptcies. We had that in 2016, uh, and so on. So you sort of have two type two two economies. One that's benefiting from this crisis um, for now. I don't know how long that's going to continue because at the end, a lot of those are still consumer-based businesses that that depend on advertising and consumers being able to purchase. But for now, they're benefiting, and then you have all the businesses that are that are suffering. And so, on an overall basis, the 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 heavy weighting of the the benefiting companies and technology are, is pushing the S and P and the to some extent the Dow up. Um, but I don't think that's sustainable. Um, and at the end of the day, you know, the big question, the multi, 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 hundred, multi, trillion dollar question is what's going to come out on the other side? And on the other side, you're going to have an even more indebted global economy um, that lacks the productive capacity to uh, pay its debts and um, that's monetizing uh well, I should say monetizing. It's 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 creating uh, and printing so much money that the the paper that 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 everything is denominated in the fiat currencies is being diminished in value, and uh, it's really you know it's really hard to draw any other conclusion but that uh, there's going to there's going to be first a big deflationary wave caused by all the debt destruction. But on the other side of that, you're going to have um, sort of a situation, uh, the closest comparison we've ever seen is Weimar Germany, where you have just trillions and trillions of dollars and euros and yen and yuan printed. And I think that's going to ultimately lead to hyperinflation. But right now, the first wave is going to be deflation, and that's going to be very destructive um, of value of you know, of financial assets, which, you know, initially have been, you know, really inflated by everything the Fed's done. So when I look at the stock market, I, I you know, I told people when it was down at 2,200, the S&P, and I, everything I reference is the S&P because one of the things I do is trade options on the S&P index. So it was 2,200, I said, well, I think it could go lower, but you're probably closer to the bottom than, you know, than the top. I wouldn't sell right now. I, I think, a lot of the damage is done. Don't sell. Back at 2,900, I think, I think it's more prudent to reduce exposure because I think we're more likely to go back down, or even you know down to 2,200 or lower, because the 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 scope of the economic damage is so great that these corporate earnings are going to turn out to be just way worse than anybody can really imagine. I think people just don't have don't really appreciate how bad it can get. You have to you have to sort of have a very vivid imagination to really appreciate how bad things can get. I, my, my first job on Wall Street was at, Wall, at, at Drexel Burnham. So, you know, I was, you know, I, I watched when like RJR Nabisco increasing rate bonds dropped like 20 points in a day. Um, and I, you know, I was there when Drexel went bankrupt and so on. I mean, I, I don't need to imagine how bad things can get. I've seen it. 
Um, but most people, you know, don't really appreciate it or they forget, you know, it's only 12 years ago that we had 2008, but people just don't have memories. They just don't, they don't want to remember how bad things can get. And even, you know, we just had a, you know, we just had a, you know, 35% drawdown on the S&P and it happened so fast. I don't think it really, I just don't think it sticks in people's minds. And so as a result, um, they think, you know, and they think the Fed can solve all problems, but the Fed, just remember, the Fed can solve a liquidity problem, but it can't solve a solvency problem. And a lot of these businesses are insolvent. And they became quickly insolvent, which is a sign of how leveraged they were. And um, as, as, as this rolls on, uh, it's, it's going to be apparent that, that the insolvencies can't be, can't be pre prevented by just printing money. And, and our government can't keep just pumping money into businesses. It's just not a tenable thing to be able to do. So that's a long-winded way of saying I think we're in trouble, basically. Andy, I want to uh, – this is Kevin. I want to, uh, I want to jump in on the debate here a minute and just toss a couple of things out. Um, as Andy and I have talked, and you've, you guys have – everyone, the listeners have heard in the last few weeks, and we had some short S&P positions on early, uh, caught some good uh, movement and they were good. Uh, they were hedges against some of our other equity positions, obviously, and, and we've stayed with them. And Andy and I have talked regularly each week and multiple times throughout the week. And like Michael, we just shake our head. We're like, hell, we can't. I mean, this is nuts. And I, you know, but this past week I've been on some calls uh, with some people that have changed my perspective. I haven't, I haven't flushed entirely out of my short uh, some P hedge positions, but I. Uh, we're still holding, but but I'm telling you right now, I got I got a different perspective today than I've had a week to two weeks ago, and and it's made me really really think about um, our trading and our friends, Andy and I, sixty seventy year olds, uh, some guys older than that that were in the markets. You know, we started out trading at the Merchant Board of Trade and, and and traded everything from FX currencies to catalogs, corn, beans, five and ten year treasure, everything you can think of. But things have changed dramatically. And I want to toss this out, Andy, to you and Michael, and I, I just curious if I can get you guys' feathers riled up a little on this. <laughs> and you know I will, Andy. So um, I was sitting there contemplating, and I was on these calls, and I said, someone kept saying, this is the worst thing that's happened globally in probably 100 years, you know. I mean, it's, it is really just going to rip through uh, some of these global economies and corruption. We started talking, and I, and I started just kind of light bulb hit and said, you're right, you're exactly right, globally. But then as we're talking to some major money managers uh, from a global perspective, everybody's got rates near zero. Every friggin' central bank across the world's cutting rates, cut rates, cut rates because of the inflationary uh, situation. Um Maybe we're the best, uh, I mean, we're the best house in a shitty neighborhood. I hate to say it that way, but as I talk to more and more money managers and fund managers across the world that are swinging some big numbers, listen, in 08, money was leaving here. I mean, money was flocking out of here. We had the housing issue. You go back to the bubble of 99, we had the problem. I mean, now, where's everybody want to put their money? Everybody's got to put money somewhere. I mean, money's looking for a place to roost. 
And I'm telling you, the United States looks to be the one that's going to come out of this thing better than anyone else. And when it comes out on the other side, we're going to be in a shitload better position than Brazil is and Argentina, and I promise that. We're, we're going to be in a shitload better position than China is uh, when half the world, you know, three-quarters of the world want to pull their manufacturing out. So I sit here, and I'm not sure I haven't missed the picture. And I'll tell you right now, I've learned this the hard way through the last several years. I'm not sure dumb money hasn't become smart money, and smart money hasn't become dumb money. And the only reason I say that is because of this. If you go back and look at the 87 crash, you go back and look at other crashes. I'm telling you right now, individual investors did not have access to the type of information they have today, and they did not have access to immediate trading. They did not have control of their accounts. They were not pumping money into 401ks like they're pumping it in today. And they did not have access to zero commission trading. And so all I'm saying is this. It sure is funny that some of the dumb money has done better than the smart money over the last five to six years, and it's increasingly so. And all I'm saying is the market has gone from what I used to call it a weighing machine where supply and demand mattered and uh, actual economics mattered to now it's a voting booth. Now it's a voting booth for people that have Robinhood on their apps or they have an E-Trade or TD Ameritrade platform, and it becomes just a voting booth. Look at all the stocks that have ran. It's all the popular shit like Tesla, Peloton, all these companies that have on a weighing machine scale, they don't have a very good balance sheet. They don't make sense of how they're making money necessarily. But on a voting booth scale, they're massively popular and massively producing wins for people. And so I know Andy and I have talked a million times just in our own personal world, which is the ag space, the grain-related trades, uh, some of the other commodity-type items. Traditional trading is gone. I mean, the traditional fundamentalists of years past have have been slaughtered. Traditional uh, spread trading, gone. I mean, things, I mean, just guys had to get out because things didn't make sense. I mean, Andy, would you agree with that? Yeah, yeah, I'd agree with that. And, and and you don't have a bond market anymore. So, you know, the the, the three legs alternatives, uh, equities and bonds, uh, you're down to two. And, you know, at the end of the day, Kevin, if you don't have a consumer, you know, the Fed can provide all the liquidity they want. And, uh, you know, as Michael said, and uh, but they can't provide solvency. And at some point, things kind of have to come together. And at some point, you need a consumer. And I, I don't see the consumer necessarily coming back, uh, just playing devil's advocate against, I hear what you're saying, and it can explain why we're where we are. I don't think, I don't know if it explains what lies ahead. Look, I think you're exactly right. You know, I like to tell my friends that Apple's the new T-bill, because that's how it, you know, in terms of safety and everything else, I think that's how it's, it's, it's considered. And uh, I think you're, you're, you're absolutely right. One of the, the major differences between now and the pre-2008 period is market structure is completely different. ETFs and other passive strategies are dominant, and they weren't in pre-2008. I watched the evolution of the, the junk bond market um, over the last 30 years. The first evolution was from you know, bonds and loans to derivatives, uh, credit default swaps and all that, uh, and, and you know, and that happened through the 2008 crisis, and then the cri- that crisis changed everything. And then the next 
you know, the next evolution was to um, uh, ETFs and uh, passive strategies, uh, and and that included CLOs, which CLOs were a big player in 2008, and then they evolved again. Now uh, they became much larger since then, but it's another you know it's a it's a passive vehicle. Um, but you're right. I mean, you know, the so-called dumb money has done much better than the so-called smart money. Although I think the, you know, I think smart money has always been overrated, and I think professional investors have, for a very long time, been the ones who have been the first ones to sell <laughs> for for career reasons and everything. Um, but um, uh, I don't know if there's any. I, I would think of it differently. I don't know if there's any smart money out there anymore, because. You don't need to be smart, um, and being smart is in many ways a handicap because fundamentals are completely irrelevant. Um, no one trades on fundamentals anymore. It's all uh, it's all based on uh, liquidity flows, money flows, and um, and uh, you know the, the 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 it's the market structure that drives everything, not what happens. Uh, with companies until things really get bad. But even there, what happens is um, inside ETFs, inside collateralized loan obligations, you know, these vehicles that own lots of, um, lots of uh, individual securities is that uh, the, the, uh, the fundamentals of any individual company get get uh, get minimized, their, their importance gets minimized, uh, you only really have an impact on these securities when there is either a, uh, an industry-wide phenomenon in an industry that represents a big percentage of an index, like uh, energy or retail or so on, but that effectively pretty quickly becomes self-correcting because it, it shrinks down and becomes a much smaller part of the index, or you have a market-wide phenomenon like we just had where something like HYG the, uh, or J&K, the two big uh, high-yield uh, uh, ETFs, you know, just get hit, you know, just across the board. Um, the problem is, and we haven't gotten to that point really yet, is, you know, if we really get into a sustained um, – recession or depression, uh, if the Fed really is unable to stop, you know, a large number of businesses from going under and failing, uh, the market structure I don't think will be able to, to save us. But so far it has. But look, it's only been 12 years since the last crisis, and this crisis is much deeper. And the question is, you know, we're going to get up to $30 trillion of a federal deficit. We're going to get up to $10 trillion of a federal reserve balance sheet. We're going to get up to, I mean, this year we'll get up to close to $4 trillion of a annual deficit. And next year, I don't know what, it's going to be $2 trillion, whatever. At what point, if any, is there going to be, um, you know, basically an economic collapse? If you look at um, abroad, um, we are going to be the best house in, 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 in a bad neighbor. There's no question about it. And we're still printing the global currency. That gives us an enormous advantage over China. Everybody's freaked out over China. China's got much bigger problems than us. I mean, much bigger debt problems and other problems. Um, 
emerging markets with their trillions and trillions of dollars of dollar-denominated debt have a big problem because on a relative basis, the dollar is still the strongest currency. And um, if you look at all the dollar indices, you know, if you look at the, the uh, DXY, you know, the euro is like 50-some-odd percent of that. Europe is a train wreck. Um, the dollar is going to remain strong. And so that's going to, you know, emerging market markets are, are in big trouble. Um, and we're on a relative basis in a, in a, in a, in a better place. Um, so um, the U.S., you know, is still better positioned. Just the question is, you know, how bad is the neighborhood? I mean, if you're, you know, if you're, you know, if every other house is torn down and you're, you're rickety, yeah, you're better off. But how, how good are you? That's why I, you know, I still, you know, I tell everybody in my letter almost every month, buy gold. Um, some very, very smart people I know, like Raul Paul, uh, are very bullish on Bitcoin um, and other cryptocurrencies. He's not. He's a Bitcoin guy. Um, you know, because, again, the, the fiat currencies across the board are going to have problems. And uh, so I just think that, in general, um, uh, I agree that, you know, the U.S. is the best, um, but there is sort of another there is still another sort of um, measure of value and and we are still going to have some deterioration. But I just don't know, uh, as I think as Andy said, we just don't know what's coming next and it's hard to know uh, if, if, you know, how we're going to, how, how we'll be able to get through this without some really significant um, stress on the other side. I mean, I, I don't, I don't know how we're going to have any serious discussion about deficits, you know, ever again at this point, because I just, I, we haven't had any yet. And, uh, now we we're so f much further down the line. I just don't see how we're going to sort of get, um, get anybody to, you know, seriously want to do anything about it. But, uh, you know, next stop after 30 trillion is, you know, 35 and then 40 and whatever. And it's not going to be that long because I don't know how we get anywhere close to getting under trillion-dollar-a-year deficits. It's just this is completely, completely out of control now. And it's looking, uh, you know, I don't see the Republicans taking back the House. Um, and uh, they could win the Senate. I don't know, but it's going to be very close. And I think it's going to be – I think that there's a good chance that Trump doesn't win. Um, I don't want to get into politics here, but I just think that things are things are not leaning towards any kind of responsible mon uh, fiscal policy. And the, as far as I'm concerned, the Fed is completely just thrown in the towel. And so I, I think the trends in place are just heading towards currency debauchment, and um, and and that that just can't go on forever. And it's also really accelerating, and that's what worries me. It's the acceleration that. You know, at a certain point, you just can't spread it out and spread it out. So even if we're the best house in the bad neighborhood, uh, the neighborhood's getting bad faster, and that worries me. Yeah, I know uh, Andy and I, and I know Andy has been long some gold. And, you know, I've been in Bitcoin for, for quite a while, a number of years, and bad at some positions. And so, yeah, we're, we're kind of in the same camp you are. Uh, on that front, having having some exposure in your portfolio at least, and yeah, I think what Michael, I got a question. What what do you, what do you think, and Andy? What how do you? And we haven't even talked, guys, about 
the fallout in the energy space and what's happened in crude oil. And, I, you know, I contend, and I've said it numerous times, hell, if the coronavirus didn't even happen here, and just the, the fallout that took place in the energy space and crude and the debt uh, debacle that we're going to have there, you know, the stock market would be a lot lower than it is currently, in my opinion. But maybe, again, that would just be a U.S. Uh, type of problem. But what are you seeing on that front? Is that well, have you concerned as well? Demand for oil is, you know, weak, and um, I actually do a lot of work with investors in the, in the Middle East, and um, uh, the the oil the oil oil demand's a problem. Gas is a different question, but oil is a, is an issue, and um, the the problem here is that the frackers have enormous amounts of debt. It's a, you know, like everything else, it's been financed by debt, and it's not sustainable at these levels. Um, this was a you know kick in the kick in the mouth in terms of you know slowing demand even more, but you know the problem was that um, it was already a problem. So um, you know I mean I I, I, I worked on the uh, I was one of the junior guys on the Occidental Petroleum account at Drexel, was sort of a house account, and um, you know so I always you know keep an eye on it, and I just can't believe what has happened to that company. I know that you know they did that big acquisition, they took on all that debt. And that company is just, you know, the stock is what at ten bucks. I mean, it's just appalling what has happened there. Um, but the whole sector is just, you know, that's that's a that's sort of a, I think that's a long term, you know, terminal not terminal in terms of it's going to, you know, end. But they're just going to continue to struggle for a long time, and that's that's a, that's going to be a problem because I mean it's great that we have in, energy independence, but um, there's a lot of debt there that's going to have to be uh, equitized or, or wiped out, which is, just doesn't seem to be sustainable. There isn't enough. Um, there just isn't going to be enough income to support all that debt. I'm not an expert. Yeah, you know, that's my view. <clears throat> well, I you know I don't have anything to add to the uh, to the energy sector. It's what it is. But you know, obviously, in our little world of uh, um, agriculture uh, that has dire impacts and consequences for ethanol, and uh, you know then the whole you know production cycle of food. I mean, you know, 08 through 12, we we you know had to burn food for fuel, and we finally got yields globally, and we brought production land into production that wouldn't have been in production if it weren't for those high prices. So high prices cure high prices. But now, what happens on the inverse of that? I don't know. I'm not very. It's it's concerning to me. Um, but you know, you, you look at other sectors of the economy. I mean, my God, the the the, the service uh, industry. Uh, you know, well, what Kevin, we were talking the other day. You put something really good in your your newsletter about uh, what in 2052 percent of meals were consumed uh, at home, and uh, in 2017 it was 24 percent, and we're going back the other way now, and yeah. you're going to see an explosion of bankruptcies in the. The restaurant space. I mean, they they can't. <laughs> they they live mouth to mouth and day to day. And you know, you you're you're going to see you know, fifty percent closures. Kevin, you were saying the other day. So you know, what are we going to do with with that whole sector of of the economy and and, and that you know, um, those those folks. It's it's gonna it's gonna get ugly. And 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 they're not exactly at the higher rung of the economic ladder. So you know, as you were saying in your in your newsletter today, you know you. We have socialism for the rich now, Michael. Um, and uh, you know this 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 
uh, income gap and, and the equity valuation gap in this country is just this is going to explode it. I don't see any way around it. And oh, of course, you get, that's going to lead to all sorts of social consequences and issues. I, I can't even contend or anticipate at the moment. But as you start out the conversation today, Michael, uh, the world's going to look a whole lot different when this is over with. And uh, I, I, that's where I really want to kind of focus on. What, what is going to be different? I mean, you talk about deflation coming our way. Um, followed by hyperinflation, and I don't disagree with that, but everything's a matter of timing. Roller coasters, uh, you know, do go both ways. Um, so, you know, how – but yet cycles all the same are, are, are much shorter. I mean, if you told me uh, Biden's going to be the next president of the United States, I'll tell you right now, you know, that cycle is going to be expedited to the uh, hyper side. Um, it, it, it but is. in any event – I agree with that. I mean, I, I – um... I think that's the problem. Is that you know I, I um, it looks to me increasingly like see this is part of the problem. Is that I mean look what just happened. Okay, I mean it's not like any of the Republicans bought any of the big spending. I mean so I mean at the end of the day <laughs> there wasn't like a huge resistance to spending all this money, and that is very concerning. I mean the Democrats tried to put in a lot of garbage into the bills, but the end of the day, you know, they're just, you know, they're just, they, they just can't spend money fast enough. It's like, I'm, I've never seen anything like it in my life. I mean, um, look, I think, I think what we're facing is, I think we're facing, look, we're already facing slow growth. I mean, as I said, you know, we couldn't, we could barely grow at 2% um, before this because of all the debt. And uh, the debt was, you know, it was over a trillion dollars a year. You know, this, this tax cut, what did it accelerate? It didn't accelerate growth. I mean, it popped growth maybe for a quarter, but that was it. And that was the end of it. I mean, the, uh, the tax bill um, was, you know, problematic in a lot of ways. You know, it accelerated stock buybacks. It, uh, you know, but, it, you know, it didn't really, you know, the idea that it really enhanced the productivity of the, the economy is false. Um, you know, we just have, um, so I think, you know, what this does is it, I think it, this basically enhances or accelerates a lot of the negative trends that we had in place. And, uh, that's, you know, slow growth, you know, you know, wealth inequality, um, uh, the increase of, you know, unproductive activity of financial engineering on and on and on and on. And, you know, you would hope that this would sort of be a chance to reset, but I'm not hearing the kind of good ideas we had. I published a thing a, a few weeks ago about, you know, like they're talking about an infrastructure plan, infrastructure, infrastructure, infrastructure is, you know, what we need is a, you know, we, this exposed real problems in our healthcare system. And we need, um, we need, if we want to spend money on infrastructure, we should direct it to our healthcare, some of it to our healthcare system you know, and so on and so forth. I mean, no one's really thinking, though, strategically. I mean, the, the problem is we, what we get from the government is just what's going to get them reelected. And so we need, you know, our tax code is, 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 is screwed up. We shouldn't, be, you know, we shouldn't be, you know, subsidizing debt. We should be subsidizing equity, on and on and on and on. Everything's backwards. So we really need, like, a complete reset. And anything less is just going to keep us on this path that means more debt, slower growth, 
and all the rest. And um, uh, the problem is, you know, like the first, you know, 20 trillion of federal debt. Okay, well, we could deal with that. Well, the next 20 trillion, I don't know, because at that point we're over 100% of GDP, uh, and and I think we're just getting into real unsustainable levels where you know we're going to have to make you know we have to deal with things like you know do we really want to keep spending 750 billion dollars a year on our military when I and, I and I'm pro military but I can't believe that a third of that isn't wasted every year you know how can we how can we put up with probably 200 billion dollars at least probably more probably more it's probably much more of waste in our Medicare payments. Uh, on and on and on. I mean, the government must waste God knows how much money. It's just, and that's just the federal government, never mind state. I mean, everything has to be rethought. And, you know, the problem is, you know, try to have a conversation, uh, you know, with, with the leaders in Congress on that. And these are, these are people who are generally octogenarians. They are, uh, these are no term limits. They've been locked in. They've been doing business like this for years. They are... Uh, bought and paid for by uh, industry and lobbyists and everything else, and the whole system is so ossified that there's just really no chance of getting any change unless there's some kind of radical, radical break. And the problem is you had a chance maybe now to do that, except the Fed came in and tried to make this all okay, and so it takes it like enables this kind of behavior um, and this is the problem. So at the end of the day, I always come back, and I wrote a book in 2016 called The Committee to Destroy the World. had a huge fight with my publisher because they wouldn't let me put the pictures, the photos of the central bankers on the cover. And, but, you know, at the end of the day, it's, it's, you know, the Fed is the one who's enabling all this behavior that's destroying everything. And it's, one of the things it's doing is it's destroying the ability to 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 reform anything and and so that's why it's so discouraging because they just as long as they're going to print money it covers up a lot of sins until you until things get have to get so bad that literally you have you know major industries going insolvent i mean the 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 restaurant industry has i think like the second largest private em employer in the country or something i mean if that were to, if they were to lose 50 percent of their jobs you know at that point that's that's of crisis proportions, but you know that has to happen, and 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 it, it may be happening now, but we'll just have to see. I'm, you know, I I just tend to worry that we're just the, the Fed just lets things, you know, get covered up because of they're just printing so much money. Well, <laughs> I mean, that's not, you know, I, you know, I hate to be so discouraged, uh, but, you know, I, I, look. but I think that's the bottom line. I mean, I think the, the, the central bankers have destroyed, they've destroyed markets, they've destroyed, you know, pricing, they've destroyed everything, and I think they're way beyond their mandate, their statutory mandate, and uh, it's just, it's completely out of control. And first of all, nobody in Congress even understands what the Fed does. Try to have a conversation with 99% of the people in Congress. They can't tell you what monetary policy is. They don't understand it. Very few of them do. No, That's half the problem. And, you have, and with all due respect, Donald Trump pushing for negative rates, it's like, you know, he knows better than that. 
It's the most grossly irresponsible thing he could possibly say, and he knows better. He's way smarter than that. Just not. It's not. You know, negative rates destroy capital. It's, just, it's eating out the uh, financial system in in Europe, and we're going to get there. We're not that far. We're going to have negative rates. Certain of it, and that would be catastrophic. Yeah, yeah, that's true. And you know, the the to, to the to the issue at hand, we're dealing with the, this this virus, and 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 we're going down and 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 making these going down a path that hasn't even been thought out. I mean, no one spent five minutes thinking it out. We just went out and found someone we could put behind a microphone and say, okay, let's follow this leader. Well. What kind of thought process has gone look, into this? They have whole no thing? idea. That's I'm reading just more about crazier than shit. Yeah, the virus. Look, are they saying it affects all parts of the body? I mean, this is a new virus. They don't know. They had no idea. And I look. I'm. I don't. You know, shutting down the economy. I. You know, I'm increasingly thinking it was. It was excessive. I mean, I think they needed to protect the vulnerable populations and so on. But they had no idea. I mean, it's a new virus. So you know, we had. We had no chance. I mean. And on top of it, to be to enter it, to have to deal with a crisis, entering it with an overleveraged economy and a healthcare system that was unprepared, there's no excuse for this. I mean, it's not like they didn't know something was going to happen. I mean, the problem is they're too busy spending money on the wrong things and doing the wrong thing and everything else. It's ridiculous. Well, it's the blame game, and you can't get anyone on the same page. And, 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 and uh, any time you try to do that, it just becomes so you know, bipartisan that uh, uh, it, it concerns me that, you know, how can we come together on a national issue like this? Uh, if we can't come together on a national issue like this and, and stop pointing fingers and, and, and try to find a, a solution, um, then when can we come together? You know, that's, well, the that's, problem <laughs> is they, 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 they are very good at coming together on spending money. They're not very good on sort of <laughs> on, 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 on having a, a, a deliberative process on figure out how to really spend the money carefully and how to rig you know on any long term basis and that's the uh, and that's the problem i mean it, you know this is like it's like the, I know they're playing a little bit a little bit of whack a mole and and so on, but you know they you know they they were you know it was a panic kind of situation and and that's the problem i mean uh, and, and you heard everybody say, we can't worry about what happens after. We have to deal with this right now. Well, you know, I think they could have dealt with it right now by saying we don't have to shut down everything. People over the age of, you know, elderly people and people with health conditions need to work from home and stay home and everything else. Because the problem is, there, you know, as it is, something on the order of, you know, God forbid, 150,000 people are going to end up dying. Well, maybe if they did it differently, 250,000 people would have been died, and that's terrible. And your people say, well, you can't put a value on a human life. Well, you know, the problem is what they're doing also puts a value on a human life because you're going to have all these deaths of despair from people losing their jobs. It happened after 2008, 2009. It's quantifiable. Drug addiction, depression, opioid addiction, on and on and on and on. It's quantifiable. And you're going to have Many, many, you know, there, there's no free lunch. You, you, people are going to suffer one way or the other. But nobody, nobody bothered to do that. They were just trying to figure out how to, how to stop things and then pay for it. And the damage that's going to come is going to extend much longer than the life of this virus 
and we don't have the kind of leaders who have any kind of foresight and any kind of maturity to say let's let's take you know you know a little more time and figure this out and 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 that's what's very troubling because one thing we know okay another 10 trillion dollars of debt is going to be a lot of damage and it's not and, it, and it, i mean it's it's multi-generational it's not even generational it's multi-generational and and they're still they're still they they want to print more money they're talking they, the democrats want more money and the republicans you know they're they're they'll go along i mean they they they'll just keep printing money until the presses literally run out of ink i mean it, i've never seen anything like this in my life they have no regard for future generations and it's not just people is that this country will you know we may be the best house in the bad neighborhood but at some point when the bad when the neighborhood just becomes total chaos um we could lose our position and it could you know you know it's it's a very dangerous situation but you know we don't have thinkers who think sort of geopolitically and everything else we just don't i mean they're, they're not in positions to to make decisions it's it's you know, just like the markets have sort of there's no fundamental analysis in the markets there's no fundamental analysis in in politics anymore because everybody is just so driven by short-term thinking and 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 uh and getting reelected in the next uh it's like a, you have like a momentum market in, in in stocks and you have a momentum market in politics and it's very very dangerous there's no one thinking beyond the next uh two years it's like you know the the Chinese and the Japanese, not that they're such great models, but they think in terms of multi-generations. We think in terms of two-year election cycles. It's, you know, I know it's built into our Constitution, but, you know, the Constitution should not be a death, a death, uh, a suicide pact either. And that's what we're stuck with. It's very concerning. Yeah. Well, I'm no, sure Kevin, do you have any uh, – let's, let's try to end on a positive note. Kevin, give me something positive. <laughs> give me something that's going to well, uh, come yeah, out I'm of this. I'm just saying – I don't, you know, I'm just going to take the opposite stance. I'm just, you know, me. I like to get it riled up a little bit. I, I and and I, I hear what Michael's saying, but you know, look, I think there are tremendous opportunities. I, I listen to. There are going to be tremendous opportunities from an investment standpoint here. They're going to be the best yeah. opportunities since the 2012. They're going to be opportun- there are opportunities to buy assets at great prices for the first time in a long time. So from that standpoint, it's terrific. I'm more talking from yeah. a citizen standpoint. I'm concerned, but I'm you know for the first yeah. time in a long time you're going to be able to buy assets at good at good prices, and and for yeah. people of capital, uh, you know it's 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 all good. But um, let me just get rid of this. But um, so I think from that standpoint it's good. But I you know I, yeah. when I say this I, I I say it and it sounds negative, but I'm trying to say it to get people to wake up to try to you know talk to their leaders yeah. and try to get them to do better. I'm not saying it in a passive way at all. I say it in an active way, and that's how I write about it. But just from an investment standpoint, people should understand. You know, they can be smart. They can do very, very well um, because the opportunities are being created out of this, out of these, these errors of judgment. Yeah. No, my 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 opinion and what I was going to say is I I think. You know, where my, Michael's got his opinion and I have mine. I I, without question, I think we live in the greatest country there is so i you know i don't want to uh sit and model anyone else's no uh, no I, but I'm not, look, I, I don't, don't want to model, model any no, model anyone else's leadership and i sit here in my position and i say you got thrown a massive unknown uh with the virus 
you know, hell, anybody can sit back an armchair quarterback uh, after the fact. And I think hindsight's always twenty twenty. But in the situation, the way it came down the pipe, I, I don't think he had any choice but to err and oversteer to the side of caution. So, you know, I think they should have shut the shit down more than they did, uh, in my opinion. And I think they should. I think I they think, should have shut it down earlier. And if they shut it down earlier, they might have been able to shut it down sooner. Yes, of course. Hindsight. Yeah, yeah. No, I understand. They, they seem to have taken a middle of the road approach. And, and like I said. I I certainly wouldn't want to be in the position that they were in to make some of the decisions that they had to make. And I, uh, you know, I, I, I want to believe in my heart of hearts that, uh, that, <laughs> that they are doing what's best longer term for our family and for our kids. Uh, that's why I vote for who I vote for. Now, I, I don't, I, I, I hear what you're saying and the shorter term limits make things uh, crazy and different, but I want to believe and still believe that we're, like I said, in, in the best country uh, in the world. And I think you would agree with that. And I know Andy agrees I, with that. I, I, I just think, I, look, I always think we can do better. Of course we are. I mean, look. Yeah, I yeah, want, no, no. Japan, yeah. Japan is like headed for the, you know, Japan is, it's over, okay? Yeah. And their situations are once worse. And China, China is a, you know, China is not a place you want to be a citizen. Right. <laughs> just put that I'll leave it at that. Yeah, no. I hear you, but yeah, no, Andy. I don't know. Moving forward, you know, I the only changes I've really made in the last couple of weeks. Something like I told you, I bought some natural gas. Uh, just the only reason I stepped in and bought some natural gas. I think some of our producers and, and people in the farming community maybe need to pay attention uh, to the fertilizer price. You know, fertilizer prices got down, uh, got decimated, uh, and got hit relatively hard. I, I'd be a little. I'm a little. I guess I'm a little bit bullish natural gas just from the sense that we only have X amount in storage that we had a ton of natural gas across the U S let me make sure everyone understands this, but if we're going to do no new exploration and we're going to drill no new wells for a while because of the price that we currently have, and we're going to shut down the frack, you could get some tight areas and some really tight pockets in natural gas supply. Uh, and, and I think that could create some hiccups and, with fertilizer and things of that nature being directly tied to, to the natural gas side, I would be more uh, of the mindset that you got a little more, definitely more risk to the upside than you do the downside and maybe a good time to take in, uh, take that into consideration as we're, where we're at. So like I said, that's really been my only uh, change. I'm still long soybeans and long rice and it's uh, really all I've got on at the moment. Uh, we got the big USDA report coming up next week. And like I said, I, I'm with Michael, and I'm trying to figure out how this thing shakes out as we move past this. And I, I, I don't think I've done a real good job. Uh, I never in a million years would have thought we'd be back to where we were at right now uh, in the stock market like it is. I thought we could have had a smaller bounce, maybe, and then uh, maybe something like a dead cat bounce, and then gone back and retest low. Hell, I even thought we could trade it down to 1,800 in the S&P. I, that's, well, that's uh, what I thought. I don't know. I, I don't know yeah. anybody who thought we'd bounce this strongly. And look, I'm glad we bounced back. I'm not yeah. doubting it. I, it's good. I just yeah. I fear that we can't sustain it. I agree. Um, but, um, you know, again, that's I think that... That's going to be the that, question. Yeah. I mean, that, I think that, that, you know, right now I think that the, the biggest problem is nobody knows and what's going to what's going to happen and so i think people just have to sort of be you know sort of um cautious and i think that you know before we do any more spending we need to be come up with a long-term plan and i don't see yeah. anybody doing that. i think we need a long-term plan 
and again, we're we're going to come out better than anybody, any other country. Um, um, but you know, we we just need to push ourselves to do as you know, do as well as possible. We just got to do better. You know, it's yep. it's a tough situation. Believe me, I, I will say this. You know, our leaders have been handed the toughest situation ever, and um, uh, but that's why it's a, it's a lesson on why you how we, you always have to be as strong as as you can, and that's why you know you can't take all this debt for granted. You can't just keep printing it ever. You have to have you know you have to have uh, um, discipline uh, all the time, and that's what worries me is that we don't have any kind of no pretense of financial discipline, and that's very worrisome. But you know, Andy, you got anything better? Better. Well, <clears throat> no, I'm I'm kind of a broken record right now. I, I did buy some soybeans, Kevin. I you know I kind of wasn't on that same page, I wanted to see it break a little bit more, and it, and it has. Uh, I, I don't rule out that I could take some heat on it, but uh, I'm optimistic. We're in this, you know, phase one is going to start to get executed upon, and that means more beans from China, and that's really about the sum and substance of it. I think the fact the corn crop got in early this year, or is getting in early, um, pretends for those big acres, um, which I, is negative to corn, in my, in my opinion, but also doesn't put as much pressure on soybeans because you're not going to see the big, the the you know the offset of acres and from corn going into soybeans because if they plant early they usually plant more corn. Um, beyond that, uh, I'm still long rice, broken record there, and uh, I'm kind of a broken record. I continue to uh, keep myself hedged by uh, being short the uh, S&P against my equity positions, which are also pared down, and um, I'm a I've been a gold bug for many years, but uh, it's kind of resurging, and I, uh, I think at some point, I, you know, maybe the dollar's got to get down below 100, 98, 97, and then I think gold can really do something. For now, I think it kind of inches higher, um, but to make a decisive move, I think you need to see the dollar do something to the downside. Um, beyond that, no, I, uh, <clears throat> I think there's going to be opportunity out there. I couldn't agree with Michael more about. You know, there are going to be opportunities, and I sure would like to uh, explore that conversation next time um, about what those opportunities specifically might be. Um, and I guess I also would like to uh, wrap it up by uh, saying, uh, Michael, uh, your, your your monthly newsletter, uh, The Credit Strategist, I, I think is a phenomenal piece. Uh, if our listeners were interested in uh, subscribing, how would they go about it? Um, our website is uh, www.thecreditstrategist.com. Uh, so they can uh, visit us there, and um, uh, they can subscribe right there. Oh, great, great. I, I certainly think it gives a, a perspective uh, that, that is missing in a lot of the economic analysis that we see these days. And uh, I want to thank you again for uh, being our guest today. You were uh, very insightful. And uh, um, while, um, you know, some hard realities uh, we need to listen to and uh, be respectful of, um, I really appreciate your your comments and thoughts. Well, thanks, uh, Kevin, thanks. anything else to add? No, no, I appreciate it. Like I said, I love, you know, I, I like, uh, I'm along the same lines, uh, just trying to figure it all out myself. So uh, I think it's uh, great to have someone on with Michael's experience and all the things he's seen and, and the perspective he brings. So much appreciated. Well, thanks, guys, for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah. Thank, Thank you. you.